coming up in this podcast. The GST debate, Kerry Stokes and gas sector deals, WA's resource sector outlook, local content on big projects, population growth and residential builders. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News with Mark Pownall and Mark Beyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Welcome, I'm Mark Beyer. Now, with Mark Pownall having his annual break at Rotnest, I'm joined this week by Matt McKenzie and Katie MacDonald to talk about the big news of the week. Now, Matt, the Commonwealth Grants Commission released a report at the end of the week talking about the distribution of GST grants and Commonwealth state financial relations, and they seem to have acknowledged, as we've known for a long time, that the system is broken. So what are they proposing, Matt, and is it a good idea? It's a pretty exciting result, actually, for WA because people in this state have been making a lot of loud noise about this issue for a long time, and it seems like the Commission's listened and picked up on it, and they've said that they want to treat royalty changes a little bit differently in future because what's happened previously is when you've raised royalties, the money has basically been redistributed interstate. And I think over the past decade, it's something like 90% of our royalties revenue has ended up uh, going east through lower GST payments, more or less, effectively. So CCI, however, have questioned this sort of approach because they've said it actually creates an incentive for state governments to raise royalty rates to capture additional revenue. So it could be an incentive for tax increases, more or less. Questionable whether it's the right approach. Okay. And CCI is suggesting that a fixed percentage of mining royalties should be retained by each of the states, and they see that as a better incentive. So it looks to us like the debate will continue, but at least it's encouraging that there's an acknowledgement of the problem. Definitely. Now, on another front, we had a couple of uh, very big transactions in recent weeks involving Kerry Stokes. Uh, His seven group holdings announced a couple of weeks ago they were moving to full ownership of Coates Hire. And now Beach Energy, in which Kerry Stokes is the major shareholder, they've announced a takeover of Lattice Energy, which is the uh, sort of traditional onshore oil and gas arm of Origin Energy. Mm-hmm. And they've got some big assets in Western Australia. So tell us about that, Matt. So Origin have been wanting to spin out the Lattice Energy assets, if you will, for a little while now. The deal's worth roughly $1.6 billion. The interesting thing about this is a lot of people are talking about Lattice's position in the Cooper Basin, which matches up nicely with what Beach Energy has out there. One of the interesting things, though, is that, as you pointed out, Mark, there's actually a couple of good assets in the Perth Basin that fall under this deal as well. One of them is Waitsia, where Origin, or Lattice, if you will, has a 50% stake. That uh, facility, if you will, produces... 10 terajoules per day. That's about 1% of the state's domestic gas usage. They're looking at expanding it with stage two to be 100 terajoules a day. Waitsia was a very big discovery uh, a few years ago, and they've done some recent drilling. It's looking very good. So a big growth opportunity potentially there. The other asset they've got is Bahara Springs, where they've got a 67% stake. Okay. So nice to be able to look at this domestic gas supply in Western Australia. We seem to be in a pretty comfortable position and in marked contrast to what's happening on the East Coast, where there's sort of a major debate going on and, and no resolution in sight, that local industry is crying poor, saying they can't get their hands on gas or they have to pay far too much. We had a similar debate in Western Australia many years ago, but it seems to have been resolved here, so that's very encouraging for Western Australia. Now, 
despite that good news, uh, one of the players in the Perth Basin, Empire Oil and Gas, has actually gone into administration, which is disappointing news. So Empire Oil and Gas run the Red Gully processing plant. It's incidentally the closest one to the Perth metro area. It produces also about 1% of our domestic gas needs. This company has got quite a storied history. It's been listed for 20 years. And uh, I did a bit of reading about this this morning. Over the first perhaps 15 years of its existence, they did 80 capital raisings. They had about 6 billion shares on issue at one point. That's about double what BHP had at the time. Of course, their market cap was significantly lower. So what's happened is they had a bit of a debt problem after a recent restructure. Mineral Resources came in last year with a $15 million working capital loan. They've called in the debt. Uh, Firstly, the subsidiary which was responsible was put into receivership. Now the whole entity has gone into voluntary administration. The Chief Executive Angus Walker left after a couple of months in the job at the start of this week. Okay. And a telling example, I think, about the risk that a resource company or a mining company takes if they go out and borrow money to develop their resource they're exposing themselves because if something goes wrong, as it did with Empire's production, it then gets very tough to service that debt, and yeah, so hence this problem. Empire had a significant issue with one of their wells where they stopped it to uh, do a survey, pressure survey. They couldn't restart it again. They tried a nitrogen lift, all sorts of things, uh, and it didn't work. So uh, that's been a problem for them. Okay. Thanks, Matt. Now, look, moving on, the state government has released uh, an update on the Western Australian resources sector. We've got some big picture numbers here about the value of uh, production and employment and so on. So, Matt, can you share with us some of the, uh, some of the highlights from, from what they found? So they've got some very interesting numbers here. Uh, we recorded sales as a state in the last financial year of $105 billion, uh, across all mining and petroleum industries. The interesting thing about that is that iron ore was up 31% to $64 billion. So that's pretty good news for iron ore miners. Their volumes were up 6% to 790 million tonnes, so you can see it was more or less driven by an increase in price. LNG was up as well, $12.7 billion of value. That was up 20%. Gold production hit 200 tonnes for the first time, uh, and the value of gold production was $10.8 billion. Sorry, I should correct myself, the first time since 2001. The value of that production was $10.8 billion. So those are some very strong numbers. The employment numbers look good. That's up 4% to about 109,000, more or less, half of those in iron ore and a quarter in gold. It's well up from 10 years ago when it was about 60,000. But there is a downside here, Mark, and that is that mining investment in the last financial year was only 22 billion, well down from when it was at its peak of more or less 50 billion. So some positives there, but you can see that the investment part of the boom is well and truly tailed off. Okay. Now, those numbers I expect would capture uh, the tail end of projects like uh, the Wheatstone LNG project, and that's coming close to completion. And though this is something that we've looked at a lot in terms of the the pipeline of future mining projects, and there are some encouraging signs there. I mean, iron ore, you know, the big three, BHP, Rio, Fortescue, and we've estimated they've got about $10 billion coming up in the next few years with big iron ore projects, um, gold, nickel, and lithium in particular. So some very encouraging signs there. We're never going to get back to those sort of huge numbers that we had five or six years ago, and I don't think people want that because that wasn't sustainable. Things got overheated back then. One thing I've found interesting 
Uh, Tianqui Lithium is a big investor in this state. Um, they've got two projects underway and a third one planned. All up, about a billion dollars is what will be invested in those three projects. And what's really notable, they've got about 80% local content in terms of supplies. So they've got a lithium plant, they're building at Quinana, they're upgrading the mining operation at Greenbushes, and they're already planning a stage two expansion at Quinana. Now, this is great news for some local businesses. Uh, NSP Engineering is their head contractor. They've grown from 40 people to nearly 240 in the past year. So amazing growth there. Wow. People like Giorgio Group, uh, Pacific Industrial Company, which is down on the Quinana Industrial Strip, Kerman Contracting, and lots of others are all picking up good work on this project. And Peter McSweeney has spoken to me and said, look, he thinks other engineering firms and other project developers should be looking a bit harder to maximise local content on their projects. Interesting. So, you know, the, 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 the economic environment is favourable for this. You know, the workshops have the capacity. People are more easily available. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, for future projects, they can get some big numbers in terms of local content. Another set of interesting numbers that was out during the week was on Western Australia's population growth. So, Matt, what are the uh, the headline numbers there? So it was 0.7% uh, annual, I believe, going into the March quarter. Incidentally, though, the March quarter itself number was 0.3%. So what we've seen is that's fairly low population growth, but there's a bit of anecdotal evidence, and as we say, this is about six months old, there's a bit of anecdotal evidence to suggest that things are starting to turn around a little bit and perhaps people are moving interstate less frequently. Yeah, because the figures over the past year show that um, in net terms, about 1,000 people are leaving Western Australia every month and going to other states, uh, primarily Victoria. That's the one having the big growth. What a shame. <laughs> now, as I say, this is March quarter, and but this is... Um, you know, this is having, I think, a big flow through to lots of other parts of the economy. You know, we're still getting natural increase in population. There are still people coming here from overseas, albeit less than during the boom. But if we continue losing people interstate, I think that's really a key factor for the health of the domestic economy. So hopefully we can see a turnaround in that. And those anecdotal, the anecdotal evidence you talk about, hopefully that proves to be correct. Looking good, Mark. Okay. Now, our big feature coming up in the next edition of Business News is focused on the residential building industry in Western Australia. Katie MacDonald, you've been out talking to a lot of the players in that sector. So give us an overview of what's happening in residential building. Well, Mark, WA is still experiencing a housing slowdown. New dwelling starts declined by an estimated 23% during the past financial year. However, it's not all doom and gloom. Um, Forecasts are predicting the residential market will pick up in the coming months, but only slightly. The HIA has estimated that for the year to June 2018, new dwelling starts will pick up by 2% and then by a further 7% the year after. Okay. And then within that overall market, what's happening with the different builders? The Housing Industry Association, they do an annual ranking, which we reported last week, And the interesting thing there was that BGC, which has traditionally been the market leader, was not included in the HIA numbers, which we were most intrigued by. 
So can you give us some more insight? Yes, that's correct, Mark. Well, I caught up with one of the BGC directors, Julian Ambrose, during the week, and he told me that, um, yeah, they didn't complete the survey because they're no longer a member of the HIA. However, they have still taken out the top spot as WA's uh, number one home builder, thanks to Julian providing me some of their figures directly. They had around 2,436 home starts during the last financial year. They were followed by Dale Alcock's ABN Group and Ventura Homes Group, which made its first appearance on the HIA list this year. And my recollection is that just about every one of them experienced a decline in housing starts. So that Yeah, that's right. Uh, Across the board, housing starts decline for WA builders. However, Jackson Construction was the one um, exception there. They experienced a 54% increase in starts, which I believe is due to an apartment development that they've got in the mix at the moment. Okay. Thanks, Katie. So what are some of the things that people are doing to try and sort of cope with the tough conditions in uh, in that market? Well, as you mentioned before, unfortunately, WA has uh, subdued population growth at the moment, and that's obviously affecting the residential market. Housing affordability is still being cited as the single biggest issue for the sector as well. House prices nationally have grown 1.6 times faster than income since 2006. So it's no surprise that builders are trying to address the market in different ways. Uh, One of these ways is through smaller lot sizes. Uh, Now Living released the smallest blocks in WA's history last week within the Reveille development at Ellen Brook. 11 new homes will be constructed on 80 square metre lots. And this is generally following the trend where uh, average lot size in Perth has fallen 28% in the past decade. Okay. Look, thanks, Katie. And so for listeners who want to get the full detail on that, there'll be a a big spread in the next edition of Business News so you can read all the details. Now, last but not least, the big thing coming up this weekend is the AFL Grand Final. So, Katie... Yes. You want to give us your short thoughts on that one? Well, I'm I'm backing Richmond to win on this one, uh, just because of Dusty, mainly. Um, but it would be nice to see the town win a grand final. They've painted the streets, people have painted their front walls, they've painted their cars, they've painted their children, everybody's gotten into it. So it would be really nice to see Richmond win it. Yep. Look, I think, you know, Adelaide Crows finished top of the ladder, so I think they've got a lot going for them, but I'm with you. My heart's with the Richmond Tigers. Let's hope they can win. Now, finally, I'll just remind listeners about a couple of things that Business News has coming up. Our 40 Under 40 awards will be held early next year, so we're currently seeking nominations. If you know somebody under the age of 40 who's achieved something special, not just in business, they could be in the not-for-profit sector, in a charity, in government but someone who's sort of entrepreneurial and a high achiever under the age of 40, nominate them for the 40 Under 40 Awards. You can go to our website and get the details. In addition, we've got a Success and Leadership Breakfast coming up on the 28th of November. That's featuring Fiona Wood, former Australian of the Year, very successful surgeon and entrepreneur. She's got a fantastic story to tell So if you're interested in that one, you can also jump on our website or give us a call here at the office and ask for Rosemary and she can look after you. Thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Powell and Mark Beyer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts. And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud.